0: Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Grand Rapids, Michigan is Holly Hester. Holly is Senior Director, Strategic Client Partnerships for NetHealth. And then joining us from Northern Virginia is Yolanda Dockett, who's Chief Compliance Officer for Anne Arundel Dermatology. And today we're going to be talking about telehealth. Uh, Holly, let's start with you. Um, First, I think it would be good if you could share what's the state of telehealth these days. What will continue to be permissible now that the emergency is ending? At least we hope.
1: Yeah, thanks, Adam. So we do actually now know that the PHE, the public health emergency, is ending on May 11th, 2023, as announced by President Biden. Um, So now that we know the date, um, there's a couple of things we need to consider. And there was a large piece of legislation that was passed at the end of 2022 called the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2023. And this law extends uh, many of the telehealth flexibilities that were put in place at the start of the public health emergency through the end of next year. So through December 31, 2024. And some of these flexibilities are um, the ability to provide telehealth to patients while they're in their home, um, the ability to provide telehealth to patients in both a rural and urban setting, and the ability of physical therapists, occupational therapists, and speech language pathologists to continue to provide telehealth. Now, there is um, a little bit of a discrepancy from a rehab therapy perspective around telehealth that we do hope to get resolved this year through CMS's normal rulemaking process. So as it stands today, most of the CPT codes that are billed by rehab therapists were added to the Medicare list of telehealth services on what's called a category three basis. This means that these codes are temporary additions to the list through the end of this year, December 31, 2023. Um, There were also a few straggler codes, these are primarily codes that speech-language pathologists would bill, that are on the list for 151 days after the end of the public health emergency, just to add a little bit more um, confusion there. Now, interestingly, CMS updated the list of telehealth services just this week, on Monday, February 13, and now all of the codes on the list are available through 2023. So we've got rehab therapists that can provide telehealth by law through the end of 2024, but the codes that rehab therapists can bill are on the approved list through the end of 2023. So hopefully we'll see those dates um, get realigned with the 2024 Medicare Physician Fee Schedule proposed rule that will likely come out this summer. Um, And then just one other quick thing to note from a regulatory perspective um, for telehealth and the PHE, is OCR, the Office of Civil Rights, um, posted a notice of enforcement discretion right at the beginning of the public health emergency related to the type of platform that can be used for providing telehealth. And this notice of discretion or enforcement discretion does expire with the end of the PHE. So once um, the public health emergency ends on May 11th, providers are going to be required to use a HIPAA compliant platform to deliver their telehealth services. Whereas today and for the last um, few years, we've had the flexibility to use any platform as long as it's not considered social. So we can even use things like FaceTime, for example, today.
0: Well, it'll be interesting to see how things evolve. Now, Yolanda, we've now had almost three years of expanded telehealth. First, overall, how do you think things have gone from a compliance perspective?
2: Well, I appreciate the question. And, and as Holly mentioned, telehealth continues to be permissible from a regulatory standpoint. Um, industry data depicts an overall decline in telehealth util- utilization since the start of the PHE. Um, however, despite this trend, it's clear organizations recognize the value of this method of service delivery for target populations. As consumers of healthcare, we're seeing firsthand how organizations are using innovative strategies to improve the quality of their telehealth services. Just last week, for instance, I received a notification from my health plan um, of their enhanced telehealth physical therapy services that are available for their beneficiaries. And this service includes the use of sensors to guide and track movement through virtual during virtual visits. So we're seeing that just as you mentioned, Adam, telehealth is here to stay. So how have things gone from a compliance perspective, I'd say very well. Um, The expansion of telehealth during the public emergency and many aspects created an opportunity for a collaborative approach to assessing and managing organizational risk. For many compliance professionals, this may have been the first time department leaders such as IT, marketing, and operations partnered with the compliance department to analyze and establish a mitigation plan. Compliance was not an afterthought. We actually had a seat at the table. There were so many unknowns at that time that it forced everyone to come together and actually talk through potential considerations. Compliance teams are now incorporating telehealth into their annual risk assessment and work plan process and have merged it into their routine audit and monitoring activities.
0: It it is remarkable to see how well things have become integrated both from a provider perspective but also from a patient perspective. Now, Yolanda, just to follow up, what do we learn in terms of the risks for providing telehealth?
2: Well, as we know, uh, the presence of telehealth as a delivery model was basically minuscule before March of 2020. That landscape led to healthcare providers scrambling, essentially, to identify ways of ensuring that they delivered medically necessary care in the safest manner possible. Telehealth quickly became the most viable service option, especially for, the outpatient, for outpatient service providers. So while, while most would have loved the opportunity to vote, devote a significant amount of time to perform a thorough risk assessment, time was not on our side and the process was expedited. Along the way, the industry has been able to identify numerous clinical and business risks associated with the delivery of telehealth services. Some of these risks include clinical competency. Honestly, it truly felt like trial by fire for many clinicians. Um, and our clinical programs uh, honestly did not adequately prepare providers for this delivery of this delivery model. We quickly learned the imperativeness of evaluating our providers' ability to adequately deliver telehealth services. From a medical necessity standpoint, While outpatient healthcare providers safely scheduled in-person appointments for critical needs like surgeries, for instance, many use telehealth as a method of delivery for all appointments. We learned that telehealth is not appropriate for every appointment type. So understanding medical necessity of these visits was now essential. Visit appropriateness is another risk. We all know that not everyone is a candidate for telehealth as time progressed providers understood that informal screening uh, was necessary to ensure that patients have both the physical and the cognitive capabilities to participate in these visits. These three areas really encompass the, the larger risk of quality of care. Also during this time, we recognized that we needed to mitigate the risk to patient safety, as well as emergency management. While we have patient safety and emergency management policies and procedures, they all required updates to outline telehealth-specific procedures and processes of what do you do in the case of an emergency that may take place during that telehealth visit.
1: Yeah, I'd like to, Adam, just add a little bit too, you know, Yolanda was focusing on the clinical risks and the risks, um, you know, with delivering the service, but there are business-related and operational risks So even though um, we have the flexibility to use pretty much any platform today, uh, we need to understand that this is coming to an end and if if providers are using something like FaceTime, for example, today, then patients need to understand the risks with that type of platform. Um, And then we also have to be prepared that um, we're ready to transition to a new platform come May 12 so that there's no disruption with service delivery. And privacy and security is not just about the platform as well. Providers um, need to consider other aspects of patient privacy when delivering treatments via telehealth. You know, are the patient and the provider in a private location? Are there others around, you know, who may hear or see the session? And can you minimize those types of, you know, HIPAA-related or privacy-related risks? Um, I would also consider documentation and billing a business-related or operational risk. Obviously, reimbursement is important and we need to make sure that correct codes are used to adequately and accurately reflect the services that are provided and keeping in mind that documentation requirements are exactly the same um, as if the visit was performed in person and, you know, medical necessity applies. Uh, all the rules and regulations around documentation apply, correct modifiers, correct place of service codes, um, you know, including in the documentation the fact that the service was delivered via telehealth. All of those are uh, important risks to understand and mitigate. Um, and then also um, liability and malpractice insurance. You know, does the clinician or provider's liability insurance cover services that are provided remotely or virtually? the very first thing that needs to be checked is licensure for any provider or clinician who delivers treatment via telehealth. So does the individual's um, professional license allow for virtual treatment? Now, I'm certain that this is more of a concern in the rehab therapy space, and since Yolanda and I, by clinical training, are both therapists, this is you know top of our list as well, But therapy, regulations, and scope of practice, they're state-specific and discipline-specific. So you certainly would want to make sure that, you know, it is within the scope of what you legally can deliver um, before you, you know, go further down the road of implementing a program.
0: So with all these changes, I imagine the auditing and monitoring of telehealth programs is going to be changing as well. What should compliance teams be doing in this area?
2: Great question. Uh, essentially, a compliance team should integrate telehealth services into its overall annual compliance audit and monitoring work plan, just as they would for a home health, outpatient, or even inpatient services. Our risk assessments will yield similar uh, risk um, as it relates to the service delivery model. So it's fairly easy to incorporate telehealth into the department's routine, e documentation, or even billing and coding review processes. Um, Thinking about the billing coding piece as a part of routine documentation and medical necessity audits um, or monitoring effort, compliance teams should confirm that evidence of informed consent for telehealth exists in the medical record. Teams should review encounter notes and ensure that they reflect that services were in fact delivered via telehealth. And when reviewing these notes, teams should also look for evidence of telehealth appropriateness. During claim review audits, um, teams have opportunities to verify the accuracy of place of service codes and that the appropriate modifier is appended, um, similar to what Holly had just mentioned. Um, These are just some of your billing and coding and documentation audits that that should take place, but there are also a number of regulatory um, audits that should also take place as well.
1: Yeah, and I just want to raise the licensure flag again here. I mean, I think sometimes we don't think of auditing for licensure as, you know, something that would be on an auditing and monitoring plan. It's a lot of times something that is just checked, you know, by human resources, for example, upon hire. But if this is a a road you're going to go down in your practice, you want to make sure that you audit that all of the clinicians and providers um, who are going to be delivering services via telehealth have an active license to practice, first of all, and that they're licensed in the appropriate state or states based on the clinic um, or facilities location and the patient's location. And then, you know, as we've mentioned before, make sure that those state license regulations or the practice act, as we therapists call it, actually allow for the delivery of telehealth or remote or virtual treatment and then you know one other consideration again from a rehab therapist perspective is you want to check on these requirements for both your therapists and your therapist assistants your PTAs and COTAs and you know Adam you alluded to this just a little while ago but another thing that I think is really important to audit and monitor for is compliance with specific payer rules this whole telehealth landscape is about more than just Medicare of course and other payers you know, often follow CMS's lead, but it is critical to review the specific payer policies and also your own contracts with these payers to determine if telehealth is a reimbursable service. Um, there could very well be a specific list of approved or available CPT codes and specific modifiers and place of service codes that are required by payers Um, other than Medicare.
0: Well, Holly, Yolanda, thank you so much for sharing these insights with us, both here and at the 2023 Compliance Institute. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletow from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.